Hello, and welcome to the Loft Gathering Podcast. We are excited to welcome you to our authority series. We will be talking about the contents of our mind, mouth, attitude, and life actions, and how these are the staples to further understand our authority in God's kingdom. If you're ready to have your thinking challenged and your faith turned up, here's Lisa. You guys ready for some word this morning? My mom's ready, everybody. So we're going to jump into a couple of scriptures this morning. Um, You guys just, you know, we've been in this authority series, and now we're in the series within a series. It's like if you've ever seen that movie Inception, the dream within a dream within a dream. So this is the part about King David and his life. And so last week, we just talked about how he was anointed as a teenager. Jace, I mentioned you by name last week and this week. David anointed as a king when he was a teenager. What can God do in the life of a teenager? Chrissy, you're a teenager. All it takes is for your willingness to surrender to God and and give yourself to him and ask him, what is for my life? What is the anointing of God on my life? What is the calling of God on my life? And surrender to him in your young age. We don't have to follow the world. We don't have to appreciate the things of the world. They have nothing for us. It leaves us empty and void, and it also creates a cycle inside of us, the things of the world, so that we have to do them again and again and again to find any little bit of release, any little bit of peace. But God provides this peace from the inside, even in our youth, when he calls us according to his purpose. So we watch David become, you know, anointed as the king and then go back and forth from the palace to the sheepfold and you know, serving his father to serving the king, sleeping out in the field to sleeping in the inner chamber of the king's bedroom. I mean, that's a stark contrast. We figured out that maybe there's a middle road, there's a middle ground from what we're supposed to be doing and what we are doing in the day to day. And we looked at David enter a bunch of battles under the king's service. And we looked at the king become enraged with jealousy and try to kill David all the way up to the end of King Saul's life. His heart was just that he might kill David, but he died. And we look at the posture of David who, you know, the Bible calls David the beloved of God, a man after God's heart. David wrote the Psalms. I mean, it's the way that we pray in the little secret place in our own house. You know, I have a chair in my house that that I like to sit in all the time. It's It's like my daily routine. Routines are good. And I'll sit there and the Psalms minister to my soul. They speak things to my life, you know. Man, I was glad when they said to me, come to the house of the Lord. You know, as a deer pants for streams of water, my soul thirsts for you, God. You know, I've beheld you in the sanctuary, and I've seen your power and your glory, so I will bless the Lord as long as I live, and your praise will continue to be on my mouth. The Psalms, they just minister from King David largely. And so today, we're going to look at even a man like that who has every calling and every anointing and every opportunity and has written all these beautiful songs and hymns. And and he had this spirit about him where he honored those that were in authority. And he wouldn't even take the throne, even though he knew that it was promised to him, even when he had opportunity to destroy the former king. He didn't do it because he had a thing in him. It It was a powerful humility and honor for those in authority over him. He called the people that God appointed into power God's anointed. I double-dog dare you to speak that over your current president and all the administrators over you. 
all the governing officials over your life. If God puts someone in power, and we believe that God is the only one who can, God knows how to take people out of power. God knows how to raise you up. He knows how to break you down. He knows how to open a door. He knows how to close it. And our part is to serve God and to be ministers of reconciliation while we're standing here alive on the earth. David's life gives us a ton of different kinds of lessons. We looked last week at how you can have relationships around you that are good and relationships around you that are bad. You can have a mentor that's good and speaks life to you. You can have a mentor that tries to kill you out of jealousy or vanity or whatever it is. You can have friends that come alongside for a season, and you can have friends that are going to be in your life for your entire life that are your armor bearers, that have your vision, that have the same heart as you, that agree with you about the way that you do your life and live your life, and they walk alongside for your whole life. Some people are just there for a short time. And so we go through all of these things. We're looking at David's life. We're looking at how he inquires of the Lord every time. You know, he, he endures many battles between the end of 1 Samuel and the beginning chapters there in 2 Samuel. One battle after another, after King Saul has passed, he still has to fight his way to, to the calling of God. And when I'm speaking these things, I pray that we have a mind of the Spirit, that we can understand that these principles and these these Lessons apply to our lives today. And how can we invite God in the middle of our lives the way that David does over and over again, even when he fails? And man, does he fail. I mean, if you're sitting there with failure on you this morning, and you know, I mean, I, I, I relate. You just messed it up so bad, you don't even know how to, how to bring it back to the place where, where God can have his way. God knows the way. God always knows the way. And he always comes with mercy, and he always comes with restoration. That doesn't mean there aren't consequences, though. And consequences are the part that are hard. And we're going to look at some of those, too. And examine your own life next to his life. You know, I don't know if you are aware, but, you know, there's just a couple crazy things that are out there in the world today. You know, there's a pastor that we really love and have followed for our entire Christian life through Hillsong Ministries. And... Brian Houston's coming under scrutiny of the world. And, you know, I've, I've heard people say things. I, man, I don't know. I don't know his life. I don't know what he has gone through. What I know is that I learned how to worship under him. And I learned how to worship under the people that he raised up. And I had an opportunity to meet him one time and, and look him in the eye. And he kind of made fun of us because our state is landlocked. But, you know, we, we just had a good time meeting with him at a Hillsong conference. And he was very genuine, you know, and, and we, we enjoyed meeting him a lot. But he didn't have like that you know, uh, better than you, looking down at you, even though he is a world-class figure. And so what I'm saying about, why am I saying all that? Because it's easy to sit in the chair and look at someone else's life and critique it. And it's, it's easy to point fingers and it's easy to say, well, I would never. And man, you better watch what you say because you, you don't want to be facing the test that he's had to face. And you don't want to walk through what he's had to walk through to get where he is. So be careful, little mouth, what you say. And it's one of those things about David that I just love I'm not going to touch what God has anointed. That's God's job, you know. But what I am going to do is pray for reconciliation and healing. I saw he posted a picture this morning, and his dog is, his, his dog is like licking his face, or his dog's in a picture with them, and he wrote, he loves me. And my heart was just broken. I was like, I do too, man. I do too. And I pray for the grace and the favor of God. I knew what I was going to preach about today too. I'm going to preach about adultery and murder. And just how your mind can get so messed up that you get off, off track and you get so far away from God. And you have to trust that God is big enough and strong enough and powerful enough and merciful enough to find you where you are. This is a story about the goodness of God.
right? Okay, will you guys stand up with me? Let's pray. Father, we invite you to come now to get in the middle of our conversation and, and to have your way in our conversation, God. That you would speak your life and speak your wisdom and speak your direction, God, that we might be able to live from the honey and the rock. In the name of Jesus, amen. You guys can sit down. I just wanted you to get a little blood flow. Look at your neighbor say, it's going to be all right. Yeah, you're going to be all right. It's going to be more than all right. So, whew, a lot of tension between David and, and Saul as David's coming into power. And I was just going to lead him into the palace. Why do, why do we keep all these details? And why do we spend so much time talking about the details of David's life? I, I told my husband last week, I go, well, nobody came up and said that was a good message. <laughs> I'm like, because I'm like, all their hair is blown straight back from how fast I can tell you this many facts. And it kind of feels like Bible school, and I hope it does, because you should study and show yourself approved before God. He went to a lot of trouble to have word for us to read and to have content for us to practice in our lives. And so, you know, all these details matter because, you know, somebody says the devil's in the details. Man, I think God is. I think God is in charge of everything. I think he can orchestrate a meeting for us to meet someone, to, you know, the, to fall into a place of position, to have a job opening up for us, to to find the loves of our lives, to find, you know, whatever it is that God can do that. He can orchestrate the whole thing, you know, and he's very good at it. And so we're looking at details on purpose to see what God had to go through to get a man into his calling and then to sustain a man even though he would fall away from God, you know. So, you know, David, even though he's having all these battles, it, it says in, in the end of Samuel, 1 Samuel, that the house of David was beginning to increase, but the house of Saul was failing. So David is, he's been, you know, crowned king over Judah, a territory there in Israel, but he doesn't have the whole land of Judah or the whole land of Israel yet. And so these battles are raging. And along the way, David is accumulating men. He's accumulating an army. If you, if you want a good study, look up David's mighty men and read who he had hanging around with him. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but it's incredible. It reminds me of some of you. It's pretty neat. So he ends up gaining men. He ends up gaining land. He's gaining, you know, wealth and supplies. And he's also gaining wives. And you, you can start to see, like, when the, when the hand of God seems like it's taking too long, sometimes we'll try to put our own, our own spin on it, we'll put our own hand on it and, and see what we can make happen ourselves. And so, David, we know that he trusts God. We know that he's not going to you know, upstage or, or undermine authority. He's going to wait for God to bring him to the place. But all along the while, he's gaining wives. And there's a place here. Let's see, where is this? Second Samuel, like, 3, maybe something like that. I'll just read a little bit of it to us. Second Samuel 3, it says, There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn, Amnon, by Ahinoam the Jezreelitess. His second, Chiliab by Abigail, the widow of Nabal. I like her. The third, Absalom, son of Mekah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, the fifth. And it, so it says all these names. He has all these sons. I, I wanted to point out to you, he's accumulating wives. See, God will, God, will, God will bring his wisdom and his peace no matter what the devil does, but the devil will come at each of us in a different way. And if you can't see yet, I wanted to point this out. I never really saw it before. He was accumulating wives even then. See, 
Scott spoke about fear being something that was crippling in his life. Someone else might speak about just addictions. You know, addictions. I, we buried a 20-year-old cousin just a couple months ago, died from addiction, you know, one overdose. Well, somebody else, it might be lust. And if you didn't pick that up by, by this time just yet, you will by the time we finish the story. Lust is a thing that just gets David, and it pulls him away, you know, and it pulls him out of fellowship with God for a minute, too. So Second Samuel, let's see. There's a time where, you know, David, David is looking for his entrance, and he, he sends a word, you know, to Abner. Abner is the king of Saul's army, and Joab is the king of David. Not the king. He's the, the commander of the armies, yeah. It's Abner and Joab. So Abner is in Saul's, you know, Saul's commander of the army, and then Joab is David's commander of the army. And these two are going to meet and start to have discussions, you know, about how do we merge the kingdoms? How do we make this happen? And Abner doesn't want that. He goes and gets one of Saul's sons, you know. I think it's, is it Adonijah? I don't know. He gets one of the oldest. It's not Amnon. It's one of king's, one of the king's sons. And he's trying to create the whole kingdom outside of what David is trying to do. But David has sent word, hey, I'm crowned king over here in Judah. Are we ready to make something happen? And they just weren't ready. So battles are going to be happening until God speaks to Abner. And Abner visits the king, and he, tell, you know, he tells him, I'm, I'm with you. You know, something happens over in Saul's camp that Abner didn't like, and he comes to, to side with David. Of course, Joab doesn't like that, so he murders Abner and, and messes up that whole, whole situation. But they end up just taking over. David in, ends up coming into his kingdom, and he makes it known that it was not his heart to have you know, Abner killed. That was never his intention. He wanted Abner to go in peace. And, you know, it's a great story. You should read through it. It reads like a novel. And, and it would make an amazing movie if we created one. You know, Mom, it could be like The Chosen. And it would be just like, like hardcore passionate and all of these things. It could be like, you know, the Assyrians putting the hook in the jaw of the people, dragging them through. That was from your Sunday school lesson this morning. It's not a conventional, typical church that we go to here. We want to we see what God is trying to do today, looking at what he did then. And he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So we're looking for how does he cause us to overcome in every little thing that we're reading today. So anyway, David ends up being crowned a king, and he ends up finding his place of power. And he does this amazing thing in chapter 6, 2 Samuel 6, and this is where he goes to regain the Ark of the Covenant. Man, this is one of my favorite stories, too, about David's life. A man after God's heart, written all the Psalms, he can't stand it that the Ark of the Covenant is behind enemy lines. The Ark of the Covenant, if you're not familiar with your Bible history, you know, that's whenever God delivered Israel through the Red Sea with Moses, and he you know, he fed them manna in the wilderness through the, through the days, and he wrote with his own finger the Ten Commandments of God. And, and then Aaron's staff also was one of the, you know, like, it's not like, the, it's not like a magic wand that it could do magic on its own, but it, it was a symbol for the people to look at, and they were strengthened when they saw Aaron's rod. It was the rod that was raised up when the sea parted, and it was just a visual for the people to, to connect that God was moving and working on their behalf. So there's manna, the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's rod, and they're in this Ark of the Covenant. And it represents just the holiness of God. And David can't stand that it's behind enemy lines. He's like, let's go get it. And it's a, that's a great story in and of itself. You know, it ends up being in the hands of, of a, a man named Obed-Edom somewhere along the way. And his life starts to be blessed just by housing the ark. And David goes and gets it. They, they do this amazing worship set like every five steps. 
or something. I mean, it took some time to bring that ark back home, but David wouldn't do it any other way. He was blessing and thanking and praising God for the victories and for overcoming and for all the battles that he had, that he had witnessed and that he had been part in and that he had overcome. And they're carrying the ark of the covenant, the most holy, the most precious thing to the Israelites. He's bringing it back home. It says that David danced so wildly, his clothes came off, you know, and, and even his own wife despised that. How could, you, how could you be so undignified, she says. And one of my favorite lines in the whole of scripture, David said, well, I've become a lot more undignified than that before the God who set me free, who saved me, and who's bringing his covenant back to Israel. I mean, I love all that stuff. That's our David. That's, that's the height of his heights. And I'm going to pick it up in, in, I think it's chapter 11. I'm not sure. It opens up with a phrase that says, it's the time that kings went off to war. And interesting, man, let me find it real quick. The time that kings should be off at war, 2 Samuel 11. In the spring of the year, the time that kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with them. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and they besieged Reba. But David remained in Jerusalem right there. You have to stop right there and just say, do you know how much trouble you could save yourself if you're just where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there? You know, do you know how many people are supposed to be sitting here right now that are not here right now? If, if the, just they would have been spared the whole thing of the rest of their day and whatever they're going through, if they just would have been obedient and gotten themselves here this morning, they could have been having honey from the rock. They could have been sitting right here with you worshiping God this morning, getting some kind of word. There's something about it. When, whenever we end up off the path from where we're supposed to be, God has to do certain things, certain criteria has to take place to bring us back into fellowship with him. But this morning, I mean, I would even, I would even call this a test of success, a test of success. David's in the kingdom now, you know, Saul's behind him. He's going to look for things to do. He's looked for Mephibosheth, one of Saul's sons. He brought him in. You know, what can I do for the house of Saul? How can I find that place of humility and still honor God? But right here, he's supposed to be in battle, and he's good at battle, and he wasn't there. He stayed home. Instead, he took a walk on the roof. Now, I don't know about all the other ladies in here, but I usually bathe inside, you know. Now, I can't explain that. I don't know. Maybe that's culture and custom. I've read so many different things about it. But there was a, a scripture, I think it's like verse 4. It says, David saw her bathing, and it says, who is, he said, who is that? Well, that's Uriah the Hittite's wife. And it says that David sent for her, and he took her. And I've never really let that hit me like that before because I always thought, man, that's a community. Bathsheba has to know him. You know, they sang the praises of David's killed his tens of thousands. Everybody knew who he was. And, I mean, I know what lines of sight outside of my bathroom window can be seen and what can't. So I'm just, I've always thought of it that way. But this time for today, without commentary and without reading into it, it says he took her. And I, I, it just sounds like an abuse of power, you know. And he took her, and he had her. And so she, then she had to stay with them for a little while so, until she could be uh, through times of purification again. She gets sent back to her house, and she sends word, hey, I'm, you know, I've conceived. I'm pregnant. And then if you watch, if you, you've got to go and just read this and read it over and over again and read it in a translation that ministers to you because 
if you can see just the conspiracy of David, and he's like, we like to think of him as our hero, man. He's the giant slayer. He's the one that brought the ark back. He's the king, and he's a beloved king, and people love him. He couldn't do anything wrong in their eyes. And here he is, you know, he's like, okay. Well, she's pregnant, and he sends word, hey, send Uriah home. He needs a leave. Go get him from the front line. And they bring him home, and David, you know, he's like, hey, how's it going? He's almost making small talk, it seems like. Welcome in. How's the battle? How's the front line? How's Joab? How's it going? And he said, why don't you, um, you know, take some time, go home, refresh yourself, you know, have a nice meal, and you deserve a rest, and thank you for your service. He's trying to cover, cover it up. And so Uriah, I mean, he underestimated the integrity and the passion of Uriah because he slept on the stoop of the steps. And he said, I'll not go in with my wife and have a nice meal when my brothers are giving their lives out here in battle. And he wouldn't do it. So the next night, David brings him in. He gets him drunk second time. He's like, maybe if I get some wine in him, then I can get him to go and, you know, sleep with her and just this thing will go away. This is very different than what we usually see of David. We usually see him, just even a couple chapters before this, he was looking around, and he said, hey, let's, let's get some people up in here and build a temple for God. God needs a house. I have this beautiful house of cedar. Where does, and the Ark of the Covenant's in a tent. Let's go ahead and build God a house. And he has this rebuke, you know, from, from the prophets and from the men of God that say, you know, well, God doesn't really need that. God God doesn't need a house. What house can hold God? God's never wanted that. And God speaks these things to David, you know. I don't need a house. I've never wanted a house. I want to live in you. I want to be everywhere. I want to live inside of you. I don't want a covering and be limited to the house. And David is repentant immediately. Fast repentance. Fast to run to the battle. Fast to repent. Fast to call on God. What do you want me to do? Should I go up to that battle? Okay, I'll go. That's the way we've, we've witnessed him up until right now. And it's, it's important to understand this because I think sometimes we look at Bible people and there are heroes of the faith and we think, man, well, if I, if I could do that, I mean, if I was David, maybe I could do this, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Or if I, you know, if I was Paul, you know, or if I had that. Well, look, these are, they're normal people. They're normal people. A shepherd boy that went through a whole series of fortunate and unfortunate events to become the king. It's just like you. Whatever you do in your life, Day to day, you're a normal person until the anointing of God comes on you, and then you become extraordinary. You become gifted. You become awake. You talk about a woke culture. What if we could wake up to see what God is doing and how God is moving? And it wasn't so much about, you know, the headline isn't so much about, you know, Will Smith slaps Chris Rock in the middle of the award ceremony, but maybe it's about, God speaks life from one generation to the next in church this morning. And God gives us an ability to live our lives according to his word and his promises. What if that became like a real thing? And people became aware that God's hand and his anointing was on them. So, so David, Uriah, even when Uriah is drunk, he will still not go and sleep with Bathsheba. So David writes a letter. He writes it to Joab and he says, hey, put Uriah... In the, in the hardest part of the battle, put him in the front so that he'll be stru struck, so that he'll die. And he puts it in Uriah's hand, and Uriah delivers it. Whew. So Uriah dies in the battle. Now David is 
an adulterer and a murderer and a king and a psalmist and a dad. And he's a really super bad dad. And so what, what happens here is a series of events. So God is going to forgive and God is going to restore. But there will be consequences that will fall like dominoes in David's life and in the future. And it should help us to be able to guard ourselves. Consequences have to be hard because otherwise we're just going to do it again, you know. So consequences come. And David ends up in a place where, you know, his, his son, his son Amon. Now, remember, he has a lot of different wives from a lot of different women. And all these kids live together in the palace. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I had a crush on my second cousin, you know. But, I mean, that was about it. This guy, Amnon, he, gets, he just gets this bad affection for his sister, Tamar, his half-sister. And he wants her to, you know, he wants her to come in and make him some food and take care of him while he's sick. And he fakes sickness so that he can have her come in. And he rapes her. And David does nothing. And it's interesting because Absalom is Tamar's brother. And man, I love my brother. Don't mess with my brother. It'll, it'll be bad for you, you know. I love him. And so Absalom loved his sister. And when David did nothing... For a couple years, he did nothing. And Absalom makes a plan. He says, I'm going to kill him. And he lures him out to shear the sheep. You know, gets him out there in a coup. What does this have to do with authority? Just keep, just keep steady, steady as she goes. And let God put these seeds deep on the inside of you that you begin to understand, man, even in your failing. It's not about you. It's not about my might or my power. It's about rising by the spirit of God on the inside. So they lure Amnon out to shear the sheep, and Absalom kills him. And then it's on. He runs just like his father ran whenever Saul was pursuing him. Absalom runs too. It says he was good looking, like his father, has this huge head of hair. I imagine some super cool looking dude with, with amazing dreads. And that's, uh, his vanity is going to be the thing that ends up getting him in the end. Because his hair gets caught in some kind of tree, and here comes Joab. And Joab was fast to make the execution of David's son. Remember David? He's really, he's really respectful of authority. Remember the men that came and told David that Saul had died? And David said, how could you just come and say that out of your mouth just so easily about God's anointed has, has died? And you just said that to me like it was so flippant. And he carries that thing. So I wouldn't want to be Joab in, the, in this moment. But the thing is that David is crippled because of what he did with Bathsheba. And he's incapable of correcting his son for doing the very same thing that he did when he took her. He took Bathsheba and the Namnon took Tamar. And David is paralyzed. He can't do anything. He doesn't do anything. I mean, have you ever been in that situation where your parents just, man, even as an adult, we still go through things, you know, where you think, man, I wish I, I wish I could have fixed that with my mom, or I wish that, I wish my dad would have been better or not treated me that way. And it, there's something to carry, carry your scars. I think scars are part of what make us beautiful, you know. The scars are the places that God can rest. And you can see the scars still, but you can see the glory of God through it, just like Kintsugi, you know, just like some beautiful Kintsugi's when the pottery's broken, and they bring the pieces together and they fill it with gold. And so you have pottery, but it's filled with these little veins of gold. It's the most beautiful part. Our scars are the thing that make us who we are. 
But we can't just carry them and wave them like a banner or an excuse of why we live our lives the way that we do. And David's going to see that too. So there was a, a visitation from a man named Nathan. He's a prophet. And David will back up the story a little bit. And David is, you know, he's mourning because he's lost the child. That was the, one of the penalties of, of, of the sin. The child that you conceived with Bathsheba is not going to make it. David sits in a sackcloth and his ashes and he begs God to save the kid, but it doesn't happen. So David gets up and he washes his face. He gets dressed. He's, I'll see, the, I'll see him one day in glory. I, there's nothing I can do. And he, and he moves forward into ruling and reigning. Well, we still don't see repentance from David yet. So Nathan comes to visit him. And I'm telling you, sometimes God will speak to you. He'll speak to you in private over and over and over again. And then he'll speak to you in public. You know, he'll bring someone else's attention to your situation for you. If someone ever has the, the courage and the love to speak something to your life, could you be tender enough to receive it? Do you know how hard it is to bring correction? And bring, it's, not like, it's not like the person bringing correction is perfect. There's none perfect except Jesus. But sometimes you, if, you could, if you could trust, man, this is somebody who cares about me. I better maybe listen to what they're saying and thank them for bringing that to your sight because you couldn't see it from your vantage point, but they could. So Nathan comes and he says, David, here's a story. There was a man who had the whole, had the whole of the kingdom and he had just tons, fields full of sheep. And then there was this other man and he only had one little sheep, one little ewe. And, and the man that had all everything in the whole kingdom and all those sheep, he came and stole that one little ewe from this man. What do we do? I love how God will set you up, man. He will set you up because David didn't see himself until this moment. And he said, what will be done? And David's mad. He's like, how dare? How dare someone come and take that one little lamb when he had all the lambs? How could he do that? He will die. And Nathan says, you're the man. And to his core, he's shaken. And I'm telling you right now, man, when you're sitting here, I hope you identify that you're the man or you're the woman. Because there's nothing you can do to earn that place of salvation or grace. It's like, how can God even love me? But man, he does, you know. And from glory to glory, from, from day to day, he can reveal to heal. And if he never shows us and we never know any of the things that we're doing wrong, you don't correct perfection. Well, sometimes, I mean, you know, you can scoff at it or whatever. Who do they think they are? But if you can't see where you've been and what you've done, how do you need reconciliation? You don't reconcile a, a checkbook that's already reconciled. It's already reconciled. So you come to God every day, and you live your life the best, the best way that you can in humility, thanking him for the grace of God. This could be me. This could be my life. This could be my world, you know? Jesus would change all that anyway when he said, if you look at someone with lust, you've committed adultery. So guilty, 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 guilty. If you, if you hated someone enough in your heart that you wished they were dead, you're a murderer. Guilty, 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 guilty. Right? I mean, Jesus just like levels all of the ground in heaven and he says, it's okay though. I'll lay, I'll lay it down and you can come and, and walk with me. It's the way that God does it. Steady on. So Absalom, you know, stages the stages a coup and overthrows the palace. David's not going to kill his own son. There's no way. David stands down. He 
he lets Absalom come in and, you know, take, take the whole palace away. And Joab is, and he's crying the whole time. You know, David's passionate. He's crying. He keeps just speaking his name. Absalom, my son, Absalom, I love him so much. And Joab's like, man, you're a real downer on, you know, on the battlefield here. We're trying to fight for this kingdom for you. And all you can see is your son who wants to kill you, you know. Maybe you, Joab is a good friend. He might not seem like it. Joab also has the, you know, he has the little note. Put Uriah in the front of the battle. I'm sure he tucked that away for later. He might need to use it. But he's a good friend. He's, he's speaking these things. He's, he's a man of war, though. He's a man of war. There's a time where David goes, how can I be around these men? How can this be my, my company? They're too savage for me. It's too much. How do I do it? Man, you better dig in deep again and ask God, what do you want, God? Where do you want me to go? Shall I go up? Shall I stay here? Shall I stay in this place? Shall I be with these people? Shall I, shall I do this? Shall I open my house for ministry? Shall I, shall I step over in to that new venture? Shall I do it? And he will tell you yes or no. So Absalom gets caught in the tree, and Joab runs a spear through him, and they, they kill him. And so David is coming back into power. And here's an interesting fact, too. When David is leaving the palace, there's some people, I think this guy's named Shemi, Shemi, something like that. And he's just mocking David. He's like out there mocking David, look at you. I knew you weren't a good king. And you know, all the things he's saying, just hurling insult. And David hears it, and he sees him. And the guys with him are like, let me just strike him down. Let me just kill him. I'll just kill him right now. And David's like, no, we'll just we'll save it for later. And even when David comes back into power, because that's the exit, and then he comes back into power after they take out Absalom. And, I mean, he doesn't even kill Shimei then when he has the chance to. He's like, no, you have grace. You can have some grace. He's dishing out grace again. Why do you think that is? David is being restored into power that he knows he blew it. He knows what he did. And he knows the failure that he faced. But he can feel the grace of God moving him back, shifting back. See, whatever you do, the anointing of God, there's a scripture that says, the calling of God is irrevocable. The gift of God, never it's never taken back. He doesn't give it to you and then take it away. He doesn't say, now you're anointed, now you're not. Now you're gifted, now you're not. You know, he doesn't do that. Once God puts a gift on your life and an anointing, it is there forever, every day that you live and move and breathe. Now, that's why you'll see people go through these tragedies behind the scenes, but they can still stand and do something incredible in front of you because the gift of God doesn't have any repentance or recall. It doesn't leave you. And it's the same for David. God had intention on David's life to be the king that he chose, a man after his own heart, and, and watched him go through just this horrific set of circumstances only to restore him. And David's going to do incredible things. You know, he wanted to build the temple for God and and God could see his heart. He said, you can't do it, though, David. You know, you're, you're a man of war, but I'll let your son do it. I'll let your son build the temple, and I'll let you pay for it. And David was like, I'll take it. And he does. King David, you know, he's going to breathe, breathe his last. I think if you read through some of the things that he talks about in Psalms, it's sometimes he'll talk about my enemies pursuing me, but God. You know, he comes back to this horrible thing had overtaken me. If, if it would have been someone I didn't know or an enemy, I could have stood it. But no, it was a friend. You know, and, you, and, he, and you'll hear these kind of laments in the book of Psalms. And you read that next to Kings and next to First and Second Samuel and next to First and Second Chronicles. And you can hear the angst and the pain and the, the going through it of the man. 
And those are beautiful things. Even in his last days, if you, if you read it, it almost sounds like cancer. You know, the way he says his bones are dried up. And he just, he can't get warm. You know, and they have somebody come and lay next to him to try to give body heat and keep him warm. But, and he dies. He dies at 70. You know, he reigned for 40 years of his life. Took him 15 years to get in to the palace, and then he only reigned for 40. He died at a young age, 70. Especially young for Bible, you know. But what about you? And what about me? And, and how can we look at his life and learn? How do you think he even sustained through all the things that he went through? I mean, for how do you sustain? How do you sustain when a challenge or a crisis comes? And if you're sitting there today and you don't have any challenge or crisis, praise the Lord. Because that's a matter of time. The sun shines on the just and the unjust, and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. People go through problems young in life. They figure it out and live a pretty decent old, older year experience. Some people have a great youth and childhood and have problems later in life. Everybody's going to face something at some point in life. But what can we bring to God other than our worship? I think David was sustained by the writing of those psalms. I think pouring it out to God, like when we first started the conversation, it was the spring and it was time for kings to be at battle, but David was, he wasn't there. What if God's just calling you to spend a little time with him every morning before you go about your day? And you're supposed to be there. You're supposed to be in that position where God can minister and direct. If you never stop and ask God what he wants, how are, how are you going to? No. Take the pause and let King David's life speak to you that you can carry a mantle of authority in this, in this life right now while you're living. Carry the mantle of authority. Face what you have failed at and allow God to restore some of the things that have been the hardest in our lives. So I have my brother sit up here and talk about, you know, fear and, and overcoming just spiritual attack. Why do we do that? Well, there's so much more to unpack in the spiritual authority series, and we're going to. But we have to understand what happens at home when you're not sitting here in the safety of this room or the confidence of your leaders. You're at home by yourself. It's just you and Jesus, you and him. You got to open up some of the book and you got to read some of that out loud. And how are you ever going to learn how to wield a sword if you never pick it up? You know, there was a, a recent time that I, I got to speak with, speak at a ladies conference and, I, and someone had a sword. TJ, why did I, I wish I would have thought of it for today because he has one. But someone, one of the men brought a sword for me to use as a prop. Man, it was heavy. It's a lot heavier than you think it would be. And I mean, just holding the weight of it, holding the weight of, of the word of God in your hand and in your mouth. It's a powerful, life-altering thing. And I remember just taking that sword and dragging it across the stage and having it make that, that sound like on gravel, just <sighs> That is not a sword that's powerful. That's just heavy because I don't know how to wield it yet. But once I practice and I learn and I balance the weight of it and I memorize how it moves and how it cuts and how it ebbs and how it flows, I become skilled at the word. I become skilled and what God is trying to do. And I'm seeking him. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go up? And restore my failure, God, and forgive me. Right? You guys can stand up with me. I'll tell you this. In a couple weeks, it's going to be Easter. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Have you noticed the Bradford pear trees? My God, they're so beautiful. It's all those white ones that you see everywhere. They don't smell good, though. But they're beautiful. 
The tulip trees are out. I mean, it's just a time for new things to be budding and to be born. And it's the same thing that can happen in you. Winter's over. Let's go ahead and look to God for the new life and the new thing that he wants to do in this season. And and in a couple weeks, on Easter Sunday, we're going to baptize some people. I love that. I love baptizing on Easter Sunday because you never forget. You never forget. When were you baptized? On Easter in 2022 in the name of Jesus. So it's going to be good. I encourage you to to be here with us. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this word. Thank you that you're so faithful to speak to us, God. Thank you that you're creating authority on the inside one day at a time, one little piece at a time. God, forgive us for the places where we strayed and where we lost touch with what you were doing, God, and our eyes came on ourselves, and we tried to intervene to to help something come to pass, God. Would you put your spirit on us again anyway? Would you speak life to us again, God, and would you show us, man, we'll take the consequences. Just don't let your presence be far from us, God. God, show us how to walk and move and have our being in this world in 2022 with the light of the authority of Jesus Christ on us. God, we thank you for these examples in King David's life. God, we thank you that you are mindful of us. It's a miracle, God, and we thank you. We worship you. If anyone hasn't ever asked Jesus into their heart this morning and acknowledged him as Savior, I want to invite you to do that right now. And if you just stood maybe on the, you know, stood in church but didn't really know Jesus is your Savior. Maybe today you, you step over that threshold from that life to the eternal one. And maybe you invite him to come on in. And you say a prayer, go something like this. You can pray it under your breath. It's, Father God, I need you. Would you come and live in my heart? Would you forgive me for my sins? I know they are many. God, would you come and restore my, my faith in you? Would you show me your glory? Would you fill me with the Holy Spirit, God, and make me new? Amen. This is not the first, it's not the last prayer you're going to pray, but maybe it's a start. And I encourage you, if you want to be baptized, come and see me after service. You guys are amazing. I love you. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to like and follow for the next installment of The Loft Podcast. If you want to be a partner with The Loft, you can give on Givelify.com. If you need more information, check us out on Facebook or at theloftgathering.com. And of course, join us 1030 Sunday mornings. Hope you have a great week. Till next time.